Hello, and welcome to Surroundscapes, an audio and video podcast series featuring a diverse collection of interviews with thought leaders from around the world, addressing the general subject of the future of business. This content is curated by Blue Sound Professional and focuses on the role of the oral and visual senses in creating unique, delightful, and compelling experiences to stimulate business. This is the second series of Surroundscapes, and it's focused on the future of the workplace. I'm really pleased to introduce for this episode, Bernd Schindler from Ingenieur Bureau Schindler in Herzenarak, Germany. Bernd and I have worked together for a number of years on a number of installations, and I believe that he's one of the most innovative and thoughtful AV consultants in the world. So welcome, Bernd. Hi, Graham. It's great to have you here talking to me. So I'd like to start by asking you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the background and the formation of your company. I started my business in uh, 18 years ago in 2002 when I was 18. So it was the, the only thing I ever did as a job. And I started on the on the user side of the AV industry uh, for a local company. I uh, I managed conferences and, uh, and helped them support the technology and, and so on. And after a short time, I, I got interested in the technology behind the, the user experience and started tinkering with the technology they had on their side and did stuff like AMX and Crestron programming and audio programming. And, and after a few years, um, the very same company uh, wanted to build a new huge conference center here in at the headquarter. And because we have worked for many years successfully together, they asked me if I'm if I feel able to to design and specify it. And I said yes. And so it um, was a pretty pretty big project around 3.5 to 4 million euros in AV technology alone. And it was a huge success. And so I became a consultant. And and after doing the, the regular consultant business for many years, like specifying a boardroom here and a multifunctional room there and three meeting rooms at another project, for two or three years now, we are focusing and specializing on large scale meeting room deployments in like projects where we talk really talk hundreds or thousands of, of similar rooms, which is a completely different business. There is much more um, about IT integration and, and process management and supply chain management than it is the, the classical, uh, let's say, approach to, to AV. The, the the whole programming um, has to be different, and you have yeah you're facing completely different and new challenges than we did the, the decades before. And due to this history I just told you, it's um, uh, it's my philo 
and and I can do a lot of stuff. I'm able to do a lot of stuff in our industry by myself. Like I'm still able to program. I'm still able to 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 hook up things and, and install and, and and do all the cabling and so on. Whatever. Um, I made it my philosophy to never specify in any kind of project what I did not test and use by myself and what I couldn't handle myself. It was just who I am. I love playing around with technology from every point of view. Yeah, that, uh, that neatly brings into to play when we first met each other and got to know each other, which was working for this company that you were talking about. And I was working for Biamp at the time. And you did what you were just talking about, employing new technology uh, with a product Biamp made at the time in this sort of installation. And there were a lot of problems. There were some problems with programming. There were some problems with uh, installation. But there were also some problems with the Biamp products, some bugs and... Um, it was early in the release of that, that product. And it's a really interesting lesson, I think, because you were frustrated with, with Biamp. The integrator was frustrated with Biamp. The end user was frustrated with Biamp because the system wasn't working properly. And we did what we did at Biamp and, and really tried to help. And through you know, people coming to site, gradually worked through all of the problems. And we ended up in a situation where the end customer was happy, the integrator was happy, and you were happy. And I believe that that customer is still buying Biamp equipment and using Biamp yeah, equipment. And I think it's a really good lesson to, to companies about, you know, sometimes stuff goes wrong. Sometimes shit happens, as they say. And it's how you react to that. It's whether you stand behind your product, whether you try and work with everyone else to make the thing right. Um, and I I was really proud of the way that all turned out. And I use that as a story often to, to my employees now at my new company in terms of really being in it for the success of every party, not just selling the equipment, taking the money and walking away, but not being happy until everyone's happy. Uh, in this case, the consultant, the integrator, and the end customer. Was that yeah. your experience of that? I have I have relived this thing more often because um, I am more than just an early adopter. I'm, I'm not only always want to try out the latest technology, it's more. It's it's more and more often that we um, we push the manufacturers to give us stuff that is not already there. We want even more that they can provide because we have very special requirements in our projects. And if you are, if you want new technology in your and very new and brand new technology, or maybe even custom fit technology for your projects, you have to realize, in my opinion that this will always come with with te technical flaws and bugs and so on this every manufacturer everybody who states that their products are flawless and bug free is just lying it's technology it's uh, it's mm -hmm. like what we just experienced <laughs> um and but it's 
as you said, it's the way how you deal with it. And if we all pull on the same string and, and um, try to make it work, um, some, some great things can come out of it and um, great solutions for the customer because he gets stuff that is maybe better, cheaper, more functional. However, but um, the integrator can maybe have sol a solution that is easier to install, more flexible. The manufacturer, of course, can sell a new product and the, the consultant can be happy by doing innovative work. And at the end, it can form personal relationships like ours. I consider you a friend sure. and, uh, for many years now. And it started with this um, very special yep. project yep. and a very special experience we had there. <laughs> <laughs> very stressful time. It's interesting because when you think about consultants, when I think about consultants, I always think consultants are pulled in two different ways. So on one way, it's it's specifying something that they know will work for the customer, which kind of drags you to doing what you've done before and, and been successful with before. On the other hand, it's specifying the best possible solution, which is probably using some fairly new equipment because everything's evolving. So on one hand, as a consultant, you're, you're dragged towards what you know and love and works well. And on the other hand, you're dragged towards the new and innovative. And I've always seen in you much more of a, um, you're in the new and innovative kind of end of the spectrum. And, uh, and that's fascinating. And that's kind of leads to what I really want to talk to you about, which is that you've installed technology in large corporations in a more innovative way than almost anyone else I know. So can you talk about some of those and what's led um, to some of the installations you've done and maybe you can run through some that you've been particularly proud of? Our, our very first project when we, where we've been talking about standardization was for another big company here in Herzog and Aurach. Cannot tell you the name, but there aren't that many. <laughs> uh, um, where where it was it was about by this time they planned to set up two new office buildings, and one was cut out of out of budget reasons later. But um, when we started the project, we were planning for four hundred meeting rooms in in one project, and. Um, they wanted high-level equipment. They wanted touchscreen controls, centralized monitoring, um, beam tracking, microphone technology. Um, they wanted to have great design because that company is very much about design. Um, and well, this brought up very, very uh, different solutions than what we did before. That conference center I, I mentioned before, this was a, the, the, the best example for a custom installation. And this, some kind like this would still be a custom installation because you can never standardize a conference center where you have an auditorium with 400 seats and the dividable meeting rooms with up to 1,200 seats and, and, uh, and uh, a paging system and all that stuff. 
But when you have a customer who wants 400 rooms with basically just a distinction of two different display sizes, um, then you have to face other challenges. You have to think about how will these rooms be installed. It's not about specifying the components is from my point of view done in one or two days of work when you have some experience to think about and to figure out and to test and to push the manufacturers to make things work that aren't working to 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 get the solution how to deploy these things is a, a complete different challenge like you cannot make a a custom installation in those 400 rooms because first thing is, at least in Germany, there are no integrators with the capacity to do a project of this size by going into one room after another. If you combine integrators and you get stuff like you get quality mix-ups, you get different kinds of how the cables are terminated, how the displays are hung, how everything is done, how the programming is done, won't work as well. In that case, we found a solution uh, where we put like all the central components into a housing combined with the with the displays and um, so that basically all the meeting rooms could would have been able to be pre-manufactured uh, and then just brought into um, into the rooms uh, like in in a few days we made concepts for the uh, in, together with the integrator that was uh, they they were discussing to hire um, about maybe even getting a, a a a tent like a huge tent as a workspace a mobile hall on site as a production hall just to make those 400 meeting room boxes ready to go and then how to build custom custom um custom boxes and coasters how to bring them into the building and and we made simulations how to um how fast they can move how many would fit into an elevator at one time and even under and then when you when you calculate this and you see and, and you you reach a point where you see well the moving speed and the size capacity of your elevator is your breaking point for your for your installation speed? Then you think, okay, this is kind of a crazy project. Mm -hmm. And um, a few years later, we had a um, a project where in, in in one building it was different because um, it was two hundred thirty rooms in one building, but that customer totally has forgotten to set up any budget for their meeting rooms. They simply forgot it. When we started talking, they, I, I asked the project leader, so by the way, what's our budget? And, and she said, um, I'm sorry, it's zero. Zero for what? She said zero for anything. Zero for, for furniture, technology, cabling. Um, of course, they, they got some more than zero, but there was no way to bring it up to... Um, uh, to a decent amount of money where you could really work with. So um, we had to find a solution that was cheap and price-worthy on, on, on the one hand, but, but still 230 rooms, you need 
standardized programming, you need remote monitoring or else you will suffer a lot of pain in the, in the operation of this building. Um, also, that, that building by the time was um, more than five years behind schedule. Um, we had no way to get some decent amount of construction time, so we had to find a solution that basically could bring in those 230 rooms into the building in a matter of days, but still no money to get those fancy housings and all the stuff we had in the other project. So um, again, we learned a lot in this project. Um, again, what comes stuff like like projects, uh, like, like, um, like logistics and and project management because then it's okay there's a delivery coming the the displays are delivered today uh, what's coming okay there are three truckloads full of displays and you ask the, the the construction site manager okay you need how long do you need the single elevator we have working in the okay uh, needed approximately for two days and he was like shocked it was two days okay i can again you you read that's in, in never any of the custom installation projects I've done before, that was any kind of a, of a limiting or, or in any way relevant factor. This um, here we realize, and, and you realize stuff. What's the? That's a, a nice story I, I always tell my customers. What's the difference between a Samsung display and a Sharp display? At least it was in in 2015 when we had this project. The very good thing about the Sharp display was. Um, the whole packaging was card box only, while the Samsung display was a card box and styrofoam. So, um, and by law on a construction site in Germany, you're required to recycle and separate your waste. Um, that was a huge plus for the for the shop display because separating 230, 55 to 75 or 85 inch card boxes from styrofoam, well. That's nothing you can, okay, just some waste disposal. That's two or three days of, of man's work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah it's, it's fascinating thinking about that. Th those non-obvious things um, in the mass deployment, like the elevator capacity, the packaging. And I think one of the bits about those large deployments is, and you mentioned it, standardization. And what yeah. I want to talk to you about now is more the experience of the user interacting with technology, because I've seen you supply some really, really elegant interfaces, which make that transition between people and technology almost transparent. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that plays into large deployments where people are using different rooms all the time and they need to Yes. Um, the one thing is, if you're standardized, you can have a, a unified user experience. Um, and because you basically, don't, don't take me by the word, but you basically copy and paste the same program hundreds of times, um, you can spend spend a lot of effort into that one program. Mm -hmm. When you have a custom installation, the programmer is always under time pressure because the lowest bit got the job, and that's the one who has 
only planned in two hours for programming. So he's like speed clicking some some touch panel user in the face and it's done. Um, whilst when you have this kind of, of uh, standardized project, you can spend a lot of time and and test and beta test and user test um, user interfaces and and sometimes it's even like change a color by 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 ten points or resize a button or, or or change the font. But what we've discussed in some projects about the fonts on a touch panel user interface, also things you would never do on a uh, on a custom installation project. But there it matters. And but if you spend this time. Um, it's really worth it because the customer gets a, a consistent user experience in every room. And it, this even goes on to, because the next thing you get when you have a standardized and networked system, you can have some decent change management. When every of those hundreds of rooms is custom programmed, even if they all copied and pasted the user interface, they all look the same the moment they are installed. And then the corporate identity changes and the logo changes and the colors change. And what do you do? I have, um, I know an integrator who ran such a pro uh, project or pro problem in a, in a project. And it was about 80 to 100 rooms and, and they did copy and paste and the systems have not been networked and the customer needed to change the logo. And it basically was about, um, they calculated it, they, they offered it to the customer. It was about like 25,000 euros just to change a logo because they had to move to every side and had to do it manually. Whilst when you have change management and a in a standardized system means there's only one program that is defined by database backends, by config files or whatever solution you found. Um, so if you like to do a change, I just did it yesterday at my biggest customer, like like did a, a version increment you just set one variable in some some backend system and 100 systems update automatically to the new logo to the new design you figured out that there was was some functionality that was redundant or something that you would or you want to overhaul the the whole user interface you can simply do it which in other more conservative approaches to programming wouldn't even be possible on a economical point of view. It's just then nobody would do it. Interesting. I know that the, the customer we were talking about earlier on had the challenge of, of needing to attract global talent into a small German town and, and building a workplace to be able to do that. What was the role of technology in being a part of that unique environment that, that made people want to come in? Did it have a role? Yes, um, of course. The most obvious thing is you have to reflect um, corporate design in every aspect of, of your solution. You have to, the, the product itself, like the, the housings, solutions, the colors of the products, the colors of, of the microphones, um, your, your touch panel user interface, everything has to be custom designed. That's when you start talking about fonts on the user interface. And the other thing is people in those companies are those very modern, very young companies 
are used to much more technology than the most enterprise or corporate environments can offer for many years now i think in my opinion more than a decade the professional market leaps behind the customer market the customer market is setting the pace and uh, we cannot catch up in the professional market a good example is is like like wireless presentation People at home buy an Apple TV for, for 99 bucks and hook it up to their TV with their one meter long HDMI cable. So they have no, no problems at all. They didn't spend money, a lot of money, and it just works. Um, you simply, due to technical and security and networking and, and scalability issues, you simply cannot do this with the exact same user experience in a corporate environment but what you can do is you can try to come close to it which is um which is again completely different challenge than uh, the old kind of custom installation because then you're then you're facing different issues like okay networking how um how can uh, in that case we exactly have that case with the apple tvs how can a uh, bonjour, auto discovery packet, network packet, uh, travel through subnets. How can it work with the wireless network, with the company wireless network? How can you find some guy who can make the Cisco wireless controller allow those packets to traverse the wireless network into the wired network? And um, you start talking um, about stuff most of the people in our industry um, never never heard about. You're right. And and that's an interesting subject. And I remember you using Apple TVs. And this is nothing against Apple TVs. I use one at home. and um, But they're not built for, for enterprise-wide deployment. And it's an example of, as you say, and I agree with you totally, it used to be that the professional side of the business led the consumer side. But in the last somewhere between decade and two decades, yeah. that's around and the consumer side leads the professional side now. And so what happens is consumer technologies get used in professional or commercial environments. And in the case of, say, Apple TVs, that led to security concerns, monitoring concerns, um, people trying to use them with PCs as well as Macs and having to use third, clunky third-party software to do so. But they had to do it because there was no commercial equivalent for wireless screen sharing. Now, of course, there are many of them and people, I doubt anyone uses Apple TVs anymore in, in commercial spaces. And no, un unfortunately, some still do, but <laughs> that's a different story. And it's, it's interesting because that actually led to me founding Blue Sound Professional because uh, there is we do streaming hardware for streaming audio in commercial spaces. And there was no one else doing that. There were loads of people doing it for the home, but not for the commercial space. And there was this huge opportunity to do with security, the right music services, um, monitoring, mass deployment, as you've been talking about. And so it's interesting to see that that dance that happens between the commercial industry and the residential industry. 
I want to go and talk about now some of the changes in the workplace and specifically what's happening now as people have had to work from home. It's, it's my view that this pandemic has actually accelerated some of the trends that were happening already in terms of people working in different ways. Uh, it, it's not just in the workplace. We, we saw it in hospitality and retail where people are buying online, getting food delivered. That was already something that was starting, but now it's really been accelerated. Likewise, working from home, working from um, non-traditional environments is something that was beginning to happen, particularly in tech companies, but we've all had to do it in the last few months. How do you think that's affected what you do with the sorts of companies you work with? At, at first, let's leave 2020 out of the story <laughs> for a <Okay>. second. <laughs> um, what we've seen is a huge increase in, uh, in the amount of meeting rooms. What I told you at the beginning, when I started for that company doing those, those meetings and conferences, um, that was that meeting room that was the one they had. It was already a plant with uh, or a, a global company's headquarter with 8,000 people working here on site. And you could count the meeting rooms on the whole plant on two or three hands. That one big meeting room with, with the, around 100 seats I was, I was working in, it was the crown jewel of, of, um, of the company. And for some more years, a meeting room was something special. This continued around up to around like like around 2010 and 11, where we built this conference center. But after that time, uh, where where this like in the early 2010 years and, and, and after 2010, this new work movement started, and because the new work movement. The, the, the one of the foundations of the new work environment uh, or from an architectural or office space point of view is open space. I think it's a little different in the US um, or it was in, historically because as I understand you, you always had open spaces, but with those separated boxes in it. In Germany was even more separated because um, you didn't have to be a manager or a top level uh, manager to have your own office, but basically every two or four people were sitting in a separated room. And I, I mean, a, a room with uh, concrete walls and acoustic separation and a massive door and all that, all that stuff. And, and now we, we have open spaces and, and maybe some, some glass and maybe some little acoustic separation between the desks. But um, so so you you need a, a lot more meeting spaces out of two reasons because on the one hand the working culture changed you have more meetings more projects more collaboration that's a, let's say soft side and the hard side is um people workers sometimes need privacy what was very interesting for for the second customer we talked about the very first standardization project before the huge new buildings came to place they made a test building just to test out the concepts just to test out their amounts of and what we there 
saw very often is it was for them it was the very first time they tested open space environments and we built a lot of medium-sized meeting rooms with like eight seats and very often when we came there we saw two or maybe even one person occupying such a room because um, they didn't need a meeting room what they really needed was a door that they could close behind them they needed privacy for for a phone call or or, or to concentrate or um so what we what we see now or what we've seen until early 2020 was small rooms huddle rooms uh, that's a, a, the biggest trend in our industry two seats three seats four seats uh, but on a massive scale most of most of our customers newer concepts come out with like a ratio of one to ten meeting for every ten person or, or desks in a building you need one meeting room if you have two thousand desks in a building you need 200 meeting rooms sometimes even more seldom less but very small meeting rooms like when you have those 200 meeting rooms for the 2000 people maybe 60 to 70 percent of them is, is room and room boxes with four seats or maybe six seats what we've seen um what we've seen earlier this year um, with the pandemic and the corona crisis is for those projects right now running um, and where the customer were able to to have some influence on the building's project that's not that much because it's a short time span from march till now but we've seen especially one customer which is right now setting up a, a new building here in nuremberg where it shows that the larger meeting room rooms become more and more or become more important than they have been in the years before not because of the amount of people but because of the space they need to to social distance in it but i think this is a a temporary effect my philosophy always was and it was also was in 2015 if you want to do uc and video conferencing i always tell my customers simply do it in every room that's the best and in my point of view only solution to do it right if you separate if you separate room types oh we have the the medium equipped room the premium room the video conference room they get confused and you you don't get the usage i always advise my customers find a solution to to make it work in every room up until march i had to convince my uh, customers to do that now they're requesting it because uh, video conferencing and and um, getting the people from uh, from the home office in is is more and more important mm-hmm. of course yeah that's um, certainly seems to be something that is going to be something we're going to be dealing with for a long time because uh, a number of the bigger technology companies in the US certainly have already said some of their workers are never going to come back to the office some people will work forever based remotely. I mean, it's not that they'll never come to the office, but they won't be based in an office. So it seems to me that more and more of these meetings will rely on a a distant 
conferencing part because some of the workforce will be in the distance. They won't be in the room. Um, you coined a phrase during a conversation we had a few months ago um, that I hadn't heard before, but I really liked, which was that the workplace is the new hospitality as, as employers have to um, persuade people to come back into the office. Can you say a little bit about that and how you think things will come back to normal and what, what normal will look like? I was saying that not only in in inside of the of the pandemic, and I said new work is a new hospitality, and um, because um, what those new work environments always try to do, or most of our or all my customers try to do is they try to make the the their workforce feel better at their workplace, though that they enjoy the work there more or like it more often. Like that one customer, um, we did this first standardization project, um, their new work and room concept not only consists of telephone boxes and meeting rooms and, and office rooms, it also consists of recreation rooms with massage chairs and gaming rooms with playstations and a dart sport and a, and, a, and, a, and a soccer kicker and that's a, a whole different approach like it was 20 years ago the one thing is what you said before they want to attract people to come into the company competition in recruiting is a, is a big issue nowadays especially for high qualified personnel and on the other hand is most companies, and I think this is even more true in the in the United States, like it is in Germany, but even here, where we have quite strict regulations about working overtime and so on. But well, you get a thirty-five hour contract, and most people work forty hours. And if you feel good at your workplace, you work may, might work forty-five hours a week, and um, might even be more productive if you if you if you feel good and. So, yeah, it's it's a lot about basically bringing all the stuff and all the experience that the the, the people have at, at home in the evening somehow into the workplace. Before that, they they met with their friends in the evening to do some some playing games on their console. Okay, now they can do this at work. And while they do that, they are still at work. They are naturally still thinking about their projects they might not talk about they 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 do the same stuff they would do at home the same recreational stuff because they are still at work they have other things on their mind and their topics they talk about might be different it's not about oh last week i have met this nice girl now it's like okay about the project we talked about that uh, earlier today in the meeting, I had a thought about it. You bring this kind of hospitality into the workplace, and and, and if you do it right, it can be a win-win situation because your workers are happier. They might have a better work-life balance if you don't drive this up to an exploitation level. On the other hand, you get a better result out of it. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. When you were talking about that, it made me think back to one of the first jobs I had 
out of university, which was working for uh, the oil company, BP. And BP had a really good, I worked as a research chemist in those days, and BP had a really good social club. And it was pretty normal for all of the, the workers after work to go over to the social club to have a drink, maybe have dinner there. They had a lot of sports teams, so you know the, the sports teams would be playing. And what was interesting about that was you got to socialize with your fellow workers. So instead of it just being a, I come in, I work with you, I go away, I do my recreational things with yeah. other people, I'm doing them with the same people, which means I get to know them better. It gets to be a closer team. And it's probably no coincidence that the the atmosphere and productivity in that um, particular BP research center was amazing because we all loved working together and we wanted yeah. to help each other out. And uh, because we got to hang out as well as as just working. I hadn't even thought about that till you till you were talking there. Certainly in the hospitality and retail sector, as we come out of the pandemic, we're thinking a lot about how to bring people back out of their houses into public spaces. And some people will rush into public spaces, like my wife, who's a really big extrovert. She's going to be like right in there seeing all her friends. At the other extreme, the more introverted, maybe scared people will take you know forever to come back out of their houses again. And one of the things that people are, are talking a lot about at the moment is creating these really uh, delightful experiences that you can't have at home. So you've got a reason to go out of your home to get something that you really can't get at home. And a lot of the talk there is about multi-sensory experiences. So using as many of your senses as possible. And some of those senses are now dangerous. So the sense of touch is dangerous. The sense of uh, taste can be dangerous. The sense of smell can be dangerous, which only leaves the sense of sight and the sense of sound. And the sense of sight is what we've been using forever, for everything, pretty much. And so the sense of sound is the one thing that is safe. It's, it's wireless by physics, if you like. Um, and it's also not used well enough. Do you see part of that in the workplace as well? Yes, yes. Um, when you have these new work environments where you basically want to, where, where the, the employers want to recreate as much of the former private recreational experience for their workforce at the workplace, music is a part of it. What do people do in the evening? They go to a club, they go to a bar, there is music all around. Um, and at a certain point at the new work uh, environment, um, you, you, come to, you come to a point where you, need, where you need to bring in music. Not all the day from nine to five, firing uh, hard bass lines in the, in, into the open space. But when they're sitting there in, in the evening having fun, um, and enjoying themselves, um, yeah, of course you need music. Mm -hmm. And there are there are two ways to do that, um, or two ways how this can happen. The one thing is 
which I hate from my professional point of view. Someone brings in a Bose or JBL um, wireless speaker placed somewhere in the corner for 30 people and it's like, uh, I wouldn't call that experience. <laughs> or you do it the right way and, and give some something um, that they can use to make it sound good and to give them the same experience they would have like like in a club or a bar and it's pretty much the same like it's it's the same principle that we do with a meeting room people can either use their laptop and crowd around one 13 inch laptop and, and try like four people trying to stare into the tiny um, on-screen camera or you can build them a decent meeting room with all the sound and visual quality and the size they need and the same for all the recreational stuff. You can have them play around with a, with a 50 bucks wireless speaker, or you can give them exactly the product you are doing right now. You, you blew some professional speakers. You can give them some speakers where, where they are able to, to hook up their phones in some way and, and, and play some music. Sure, sure. And that, that we were talking last night about you know after hours at one yeah. of your clients where people are doing that. But also, do you do you get involved at all with sound masking or biophilic sound masking or any of that stuff to create um, environments in open offices that make people feel more comfortable and private? Uh, honestly, no. Mm -hmm. uh, sound masking is not a big deal in Germany. I was not involved, but my my biggest customer right now use it use it in their uh, they use it in their call center. Mm -hmm like to to uh, to optimize um, acoustic separation between the um, to be honest I have no experience with it and don't know much about it right right yeah it's particularly the biophilic stuff is is really fascinating now um, but we're, I'm conscious we've been talking a long time now and um, we talked even before we started and we were sharing ideas about products that people should make in these day, you know, these new days. Um, but before we finish, is there anything that you'd like to talk about or any other subjects that you feel particularly passionate about that you'd like to talk about at all? I still consider myself as a part of the AV market. And I would wish that more of our industry, of our market, would move towards more towards IT. For years and years and decades, um, the AV industry and, and many people tell me they are scared of IT and that IT will take over our industry. I totally disagree. IT is our big chance. IT is the only way to move on. And I would wish very much that more parts of our industry would be more open to, uh, to IT. Mm -hmm. um, it still hurts me when I see projects at my customers that have been done before where like I just had it in, uh, I just had a, a, a meeting with a new customer and they had some rooms, they were built in 2018, just about two years old. And the integrator who sold that room told them, oh no, don't put it on the network, that's only trouble. and. Why did they do that? Because they have no idea how to do it and they have, and they fear IT and they fear the network. 
And I think it's a shame that there are running people around in the year 2018 and still in 2020 who are actively trying to avoid the only thing that can, in my opinion, bring our industry forward. Because what's happening when you look at the market, um, especially for the huddle room and the small rooms and, and, and right now at the home office for the personal uh, systems, there are cheap, one-size-fits-all solutions, stuff like Logitech and, and so on, which everyone can buy at Amazon. And those products, most of the times, have more features for central management and, um, and monitoring and all that stuff than a 50,000 euro custom integrated boardroom. And yeah, that's a shame that cannot be. And this, this, will, this ignorance of IT could be the downfall of our industry, or at least of the players in our industry today. And they either try to make a change towards IT, and this does not mean simply like putting devices on the network, but understanding the, the means and methods of IT. Because an, an, a facility department that is setting up new buildings will never have an interest in standardization. They want to have the one project for a low price. IT guys managing hundreds and hundreds of, of locations for their companies, managing huge budgets, monitoring and standardization and remote configuration, that's not even something they discuss about. That's just the, the most basic requirement for any product they will spend any money. Mm -hmm. And you might, you, might, you might hear it, I'm very passionate about this. And uh, to all of you out there, more IT, more network, be open for it. Yeah, that's my, my statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, and we've talked about this um, a lot over the years. And uh, as, as you know, I was, have been frustrated by that same thing. And I think it's really important for the AV industry to understand it has a seat at a table, a larger IoT table of connected devices in the built environment, in, in a workplace, in a house, in a you know, restaurant, hotel, whatever, even a smart city. And we've got this place at the table and we can choose to either take it or be scared yeah. and stay outside. It's going to go on. It's, whether we are there or not, it's going to go on. And it's not that scary. It's it's really not that scary. It just takes a mindset of, okay, I need to learn some new things. They're not rocket science. I just need to be open to learn some new things. And you can do amazing stuff with it. You can, yeah. It's 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 remarkable, as you say. I mean, for example, even in my house, I don't have like a third party control system in my house. I never thought it was really worth doing it, but I've ended up getting a whole house automation system by accident because all of my devices talk to Alexa or Google Home, and then you can use um, IFTTT to, to you know have recipes to join them all together. So you end up with a connected, unified home without even really thinking about it, without even really yeah. trying. Um, and 
that can that can and does happen in the workplace too in in the commercial environment so thank you so much for your time Bert. my last question is you've talked about some really interesting stuff about mass deployment and the the challenges you faced in in rolling out hundreds and hundreds of meeting rooms i know that you've done some amazing work some of the most intuitive and also physically beautiful systems that i've seen how do people that want to know more get in touch with you you can you can find all the contact details on our homepage, ibschindlerrittenaltogether.com. Still in German. My my wife told me a few hours ago. Oh, now you're now doing the podcast. You should do the English translation. Okay, <laughs> maybe when people look it up, it will be done. <laughs> but um, you can find the contact information there, and um, I would be glad for any new customer who is really interested in this standardization stuff. I would really like to, to do even more of it. And Excellent. Thank you, Bernd. You can also get to Bernd through me if you need to. So please contact me and I'll put you in touch with, with Bernd. Um, one of the consequences of, of being a thought leader like he is, is the fact that you know, we were talking before this podcast, and he's busier than ever at a time when a number of people in the AV industry are looking around, looking for work. You know, Bernd is busier than ever. And hopefully, some of what you've heard today will, will help you understand why that is, and how you can build your businesses. So thank you once again, to for listening to another episode of Surroundscapes. Thank you, Bernd, for agreeing to be here and having a really thoughtful conversation as always. Thank you. And you're very welcome. Um, and please, everyone, come back, listen to more episodes, um, recommend us to your friends, rate us on whatever you're listening to us on, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you're listening to us on. Uh, rate us. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. But most of all, thank you for giving us your time to listen to all of this. And I hope it's been both helpful and educational, useful, and maybe a bit of fun too. So thanks a lot. And until next time.